You are listening to the Restoration LA podcast. For more, visit us at restorationla.org. We're starting in Isaiah because Isaiah is going to be the catapult text in which we enter into the entire series, this entire eight-week series. So we're not going to be specifically preaching from Isaiah for the the eight weeks, but it is the theological foundation in which we are starting from. And so I'm going to give us a little bit of background about the prophet Isaiah his, and, and, and for some theologians, the, the book that we'll be from is, is called Second Isaiah. But uh, let me just dive right into it for the sake of time. Isaiah chapter 1, verse 1, it's, it's the opening of Isaiah. And it says, it's the vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah. And so Isaiah was a prophet to the nation of Israel. And if you if you know some of the history between Israel and Judah, they were once a united kingdom, the 12 tribes of Judah. uh, um, And then they eventually broke off to be. I mean, the 12 tribes of Israel, and then they broke off to 11 tribes where the southern tribes. Judah was the northern tribe. And so they were now a, a broken nation. So the context of Isaiah, Isaiah's prophecy cast a vision for the people of God that ranges from impending national judgment to gracious restoration after the ensuing catastrophe to the eschatological, which is the speaking of the end times, eschatological hope of something so different that it can be referred to only as a new heaven and a new earth, as we see in Isaiah 65. His work consisting of prediction and exhortation. This is what we understand about prophecy. Predictions of what is to come and exhortation covers a range from the monarchy in Judah to the nation's exile in Babylon to the restoration and return to Judah. He announces events from the coming of the Messiah, who is Jesus Christ, to the coming of the new heavens and the new earth, which is when we see the resurrection Structurally, we see in chapters 1 through 39, they cover the period of Isaiah's actual ministry. So the first 39 chapters are when Isaiah was ministering on the ground as a prophet to the nations. From 40 on, from 40 to 66, we see Isaiah operating um, as a prophet to the future people. And this is why I believe that this context fits us as Christians, as those who believe in the prophesied of Messiah who was to come. And so we can draw from these prophecies and place them into a now context for us as a people of God. So thus, the prophetic word of the Lord through Isaiah spans uncounted generations, and I believe it includes our own. That's just a little background of, of Isaiah. One, one of the significant things about Isaiah's ministry is Isaiah's revelation of Jesus. And we see this in Isaiah chapter six. And again, I'm laying some foundational work for us to get eventually to Isaiah chapter 55. We're not going to read all the chapters, I promise. But it starts like this in Isaiah six. And the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord sitting upon a throne. This is Isaiah prophesying. Some of you might know worship songs that are based on this portion of scripture. I seen the Lord seated on the throne and he is high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple. Above him stood the seraphim. Each had six wings with two. He covered his face and with two, he covered his feet and with two, he flew. And one called to another and said, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And we have to recognize how significant this is, church, because this is an Old Testament prophet who only knew Yahweh, who only knew God Almighty, who only knew of the God whose name that they could never even utter. If you remember when we did the Yahweh series, God has a name. They couldn't even say the name Yahweh. His name was used in letters Y-H-W-H. Too holy to even speak. And now this Old Testament prophet has seen the king of glory, Jesus, the Messiah, 
Not just God, the Father, Almighty, Creator, Jesus, the Son, seated on the throne. And the angels were around the throne room singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord. And if, if you've ever read Revelation, the last book of the New Testament, you'll see this same context of the angels singing to God in the same way. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called the house who called and the house was filled with smoke. And I said, woe is me. This is Isaiah speaking. Woe is me for I am lost. Another version would say, woe to me because I'm undone. For I'm a man of unclean lips. And I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Just think of how powerful this is, friends. To encounter God, to encounter God. If you remember when Moses first, first saw God, he says, whoa, whoa, take off your sandals because you're standing on holy ground. When you encounter a holy God, there, there is this, this recognition of just how small you are. When you encounter a holy, powerful God, there is this understanding that a holy fear will sweep over you when you encounter this kind of God. And I wonder how often this kind of God is presented to the world any longer. Today, in our worship time, we focused a significant amount of time on Jesus, the Savior. And I believe as a Christian New Testament church, we will never graduate from that doctrine, from that theology and most importantly, from that character of who Jesus is, Jesus, the Savior. Jesus, who gave his life as a living sacrifice for every person, every person group, the people that you think don't deserve Jesus, Jesus died for them. The people that you have issues with and the lifestyles that they lead and whatever else, Jesus died for them. Jesus was a living sacrifice for all mankind. But friends, the Bible says it's for those who believe that will be saved. And the powerful thing about that, the powerful thing about that is that it was at no expense to those of us who have received this free gift of salvation. No expense. You paid nothing. Jesus paid everything. And this is why I know that we as believers rest on the fact that Jesus is Savior. I love Jesus as Savior. If it wasn't for Jesus as Savior, none of us would be here. But friends, there has to be a balance. Once you enter into this free gift of salvation, this relationship with Jesus Christ, there has to come a recognition of what we're seeing here with Isaiah, that Jesus Christ is Lord. Jesus Christ sits on a throne where he is governing the universe and he is waiting. He is waiting for God, the father almighty to give him the nod and saying, go pick up my church. Jesus is Lord. When we've given ourselves to Jesus and we have surrendered our life to Jesus and we have repented from the lifestyle that we have led and turned towards God. And it doesn't mean that we're perfect. The Bible says that all have sinned and all fall short of the glory of God. Every person. I had, I had a relative send me a video of a pastor and his pastor was saying. This guy asked him if he had to give up smoking weed. To follow Jesus. And, G and, and the pastor said, no, you don't have to give up smoking weed to follow Jesus. And the guy's like, yeah, no, I don't think you just heard what I said. Um, like, I smoke weed and I want to follow Jesus. Can I? And this pastor said, yes, you can. So this guy goes into his pocket. He says, I don't think you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and he pulls out a stash and he says, do I have to give this up in order to follow Jesus? And there's this thing, friends, where we think we have to be clean to come to Jesus. And we don't recognize that Jesus actually sacrificed himself on the cross because you are unclean. 
And Jesus is not about making bad people good. He's about bringing dead people back to life. And I believe if you are smoking weed or anything else, that as you're on journey with Jesus, those things will begin to fall off of you because he becomes more important than your life than that thing. But you can't get clean enough to follow Jesus. You come as you are, as dirty as you are, and Jesus has come to the foot of the cross. And there you will start this journey of sanctification. And sanctification means not only am I saved, but I am being saved. Ask any liar in the room. Have they stopped lying? <laughs> Don't lie. Woe to me, for I am undone. I'm lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of people of unclean lips. So not only is he only feeling his own sin, he's feeling everyone's sin. Like, not only am I a sinner, but I'm hanging around with sinners. And my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then one of the seraphim flew to him, having his hand having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. And then he touched my mouth. You have to think about the ministry that Isaiah is being invited into the prophetic ministry, a ministry that he's going to be using his mouth to speak for God. He's going to be a physical mouthpiece for God. And here this angel comes and touches his lips with this burning coal he touched my mouth and said, behold, this has touched your lips. Listen to this, friends. Your guilt is taken away. Your guilt is taken away. Man, I know so many believers who have chosen to follow Jesus and have repented and have asked God to forgive them and are doing their best to serve God. But it is their guilt that overwhelms them. The guilt of their sin that keeps them shackled. The guilt of their sin that keeps them from walking into community with, in a local church. It's their guilt that keeps them away from the presence of God. And this angel's telling them, your guilt has been taken away. Listen to this. And your sins atoned for. This is new covenant theology being thrust into an old covenant context. Where they had to live by the law. And if they didn't keep all the... Thousands of rules that the, that the Jewish people had to, to keep in order to be in right standing with God at, at a touch has been forgiven. This is what Jesus has done. And this is powerful. Verse 8 says, and I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send and who will go for us? And then I said, here I am. Send me. And this is amazing. He had done nothing. He had been a sinner moments before his, his, his mouth was touched. He'd been a sinner moments before his mouth was touched. And after his mouth is touched and his sins are atoned for, God says, God says, who will go for us? Who can we send? And Isaiah, just recently forgiven, just recently touched by God. I'll go, God. Send me. It's no different than the New Testament. Jesus dies on the cross. All the disciples scatter, not just the 12, but all the hundreds that used to follow him. They scatter. Nowhere to be found. Jesus resurrects from the dead. And, and, and um, we, we see that he walked the earth between 50 and 60 days. And as he is revealing himself to his disciples, we see them start kind of slowly coming out of their crevices and their holes. And Peter, who had denied Christ three times, comes out of his hole. And all of the other disciples come and start to gather. And Jesus finds them. They didn't go find Jesus. Jesus found them, found them on the shoreline, starts having meals with them. And then they begin to doubt. You remember this? Doubt, doubting Thomas is like, Lord, if it's you, like, give us a sign. And Jesus, he puts his hand in Jesus' side to, to see if it's really him. And Jesus rebukes him for doubting. He rebukes him for doubting. And right after he rebukes him from doubting, we see the Great Commission in Matthew chapter 28. So here's men full of fear and full of doubt. And Jesus still commissions them, go into all the world and preach the gospel and make disciples in my name. This is what God does. He chooses unworthy people. He touches people who aren't worthy. He touches people who, 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 who weren't clean, but by a touch can be clean. 
If you're going to have the courage to say, yes, Lord, here I am. Send me. I'll do it. Send me into my family. Send me into my neighborhood. Send me into my community. Send me into the sphere of influence that you called me to. Send me, God. This is the premise of Isaiah and where he's coming from. Jesus was, was revealed to Isaiah. Revealed to Isaiah. And this is, this is where we get that, that, that really religious word, revelation. Revelation. When you have revelation, it's because something has been revealed to you. Isaiah has seen the Lord. And when you've seen the Lord, you get marked by that. You get changed by that. Isaiah was marked by this revelation. How could he not be? How could he not be? And it's the same for us. How could we not be marked when we have encountered Jesus? When Paul was on the road to Damascus to persecute Christians, he has an encounter with Jesus. Wham! Changed forever. It should be the same for every believer. Once you come to, to a recognition that, that you are sinful, once you come to a recognition that you absolutely need God, and you encounter a holy God who loves you, who loved you enough to die for you, it should mark you, and it should change you. And this is where transformation comes from. Transformation doesn't come from behavior modification. Transformation comes through revelation. Behavior modification, you tell someone not to do something and keep a, keep a list, they'll do it. Here, here's a list you keep. You know, if you do this, you're going to be good. That's what the Ten Commandments were. You keep these Ten Commandments and you're good. So all I have to do is not kill anyone and not steal from anyone and I'll be good? No, let's remember the first commandment. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And, and love your neighbor as you love yourself. These are the two greatest commandments. And Jesus kept those two, and you know what he did with the rest? Why? Because he knew that if you would do the first two, all the others would be met. If you would just be in right relationship with me, if you would just be in right relationship with me, it's not about not doing this and not doing that. And this is what people fear when they come to God. Well, if I come to God, I've got to start going to church. i got to start carrying on this big old Bible, and now I can't do this, and I can't do that. And it's like, that's the fear? Is that the fear? Or is the fear that you have to change internally because you've encountered a holy God? Man, I'll take the raw and the real more than the fake and the phony. And God's the same way. He'll take your raw and your real before he takes your phony. Come to Jesus as you are. This is when God's revealed. Things begin to change, right? And so we see that this marked Isaiah. And the, um, he had a revelation of the ascended Christ. What I mean by ascended, the, the, the resurrected Christ who was seated on the throne. It wasn't Jesus on the cross. It was Jesus on the throne. Jesus as Lord. Jesus is almighty. This is his revelation. It was a revelation, listen friends, to a higher calling on his life. And this is what eventually happens in your relationship with Jesus. You recognize that there's a higher calling on your life. It's not just about faking it till you make it. It's not just about church attendance. It's a higher calling on your life. There's purpose in why God is calling you out from the muck and mire. It's, there's a purpose of why is God's calling you out from the pits of hell. It's why God is calling you from what was into what will be if you'll respond. A higher calling of his life. It was, it was from this revelation that Isaiah prophesied, which means... His ministry, his function in, in God's kingdom was to be a prophet. But that could not, that revelation couldn't just be for prophecy. It had to be for his life. And it's the same for every saint, every person who follows Jesus. It can't just be for what you do within the body of Christ. So pastors can't just be, have a revelation about being a preacher. I have to have a revelation about Jesus in my entire life. With my wife, with my kids, with my family, with all, every aspect of my life. And we have to stop compartmentalizing because Isaiah wouldn't be an effective prophet if that's all he did. It was a calling on his life. It was from this revelation he prophesied. It was from this revelation that Isaiah ministered. It was eventually from this revelation that Isaiah would give up his life for God. Tradition tells us that Isaiah was, had a martyr's death. He was sawed in half by King Manasseh for some of the blasphemies that he felt Isaiah spoke when Isaiah said, I see the Lord. And he said, no man, no man could see the Lord. Moses made that clear to us. Wah! 
I believe the same is for every believer that answers a higher call from Jesus. It affects our life up to a point of us surrendering our life to him, surrendering our life to King Jesus. The higher call of Jesus is more about more than church attendance. How many of you believe that? It's a revelation that produces a holy fear of God. And let me put it this way. A fear of a holy God. And that word holy, again, it means set apart. There's no one like it. There's no other God. Jesus, do we have fear? Fear of God in this way because he is holy. We can say, but we love Jesus. I believe we do. I do believe we do. There's, there's a testimony about Jim Baker, and I'll say his name because this is highly publicized. It's been a testimony he has shared. I don't know if you know who Jim Baker was. Jim Baker was a televangelist in the 80s, had the largest ministry in the world at one point. And he fell tremendously. He did a lot of immoral things that eventually caught up to him, got found out, and his world came crashing down. I mean, the, the immorality that he led, that he lived as a pastor, put him in prison. That's how bad some of the stuff that he did was. So there's a young minister who released, who released a book. And while he was in, in prison, Jim Baker reads this book and he reaches out to this young minister and says, will you come visit me in prison? this young minister comes and visits him in prison as he visits him in prison. You know, he's, he's kind of awestruck who, with who this guy was and you know, how could he, you know, be at such a height of ministry and abuse such a position that God had given him, you know, he was a little biased in how he was feeling about this guy and not sure how this connection was going to be. And so he, he just asked him this one question and he said, Jim, when did you fall out of love with Jesus? Because it had to be the reason why you did what you did. You fell out of love with Jesus. When, when did you fall out of love with Jesus? And, and Jim Baker said this, I never fell out of love with Jesus. I stopped fearing God. I stopped fearing God. I stopped fearing the ascended Christ who sits on the throne. Isaiah possessed a holy fear. Woe to me, I am undone. Before a holy God, a sinful man, I cannot stand. Right? John the Beloved understood this. If you know John the Beloved, who wrote the, the Gospel of John, he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, the, the epistles, and he also wrote Revelation. And Revelation, like Isaiah, was, was this prophetic uh, uh, um, just download from Holy Spirit where he begins to write out all of these things And he wrote this when he saw Jesus, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. But he laid his right hand on me saying, fear not, I am the first and the last. It's powerful, huh? Just like that angel that came and, and, and touched Isaiah's mouth. Is, is, God comes and lays his hands on him, says, fear not. I'm the beginning and the end. Those at, Pente at Pentecost understood this. When, when, when Pentecost happens in Acts chapter 2, uh, Peter revealed Jesus to, to the listener through the preaching of the gospel. He was revealing Jesus to them. And if you remember in his preach, this powerful preach, said, Jesus, the Messiah, the one whom you crucified. And those at Pentecost, they said this. When, now when they had heard this, they were cut to the heart. They were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You see, when Jesus is revealed, we have to come to a place of what shall we do? How do I reconcile who I am and where I am with this holy God? Tell me what to do. And Peter said this to them, repent and be baptized. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and listen, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. A free gift. Salvation. Forgiveness, Holy Spirit, who's in? Who's in? Who wants this free gift? Who wants this free gift? Who needs this free gift? Which one of us, which one of you? For, for this group, it was thousands. 
Thousands of them respond to this gospel that was preached. Thousands of them say, us, we want that. And bam, the church exploded. When Jesus is revealed, we gain a deep understanding of where we stand in relation to him. And we are transformed into different people. Our thoughts, our beliefs, our values, our actions and worship are now centered on who he is. Centered on who he is. And then we find ourselves in Isaiah chapter 55. And Isaiah starts this, this, this prophetic uh, um, release, almost like we see at Pentecost. Right? Who wants this salvation gift? Who wants this free gift? Listen to this. One of, a scholar once said that, man, Isaiah sounds like a water vendor in, in a Near East context. Come, Isaiah chapter 55, come everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. It's an invitation. This is how he starts Isaiah 55. Come, come and get this water. I mean, I don't know if you've ever been to the desert. I don't know if you've ever been without water. But when you've been without water and you need water, you will buy water. You will sell for water. You will kill for water. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And listen to this. And he who has no money. It's not going to cost you a thing. I'm selling it, but guess what? It's free. He who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Man, doesn't this sound like the gospel? Doesn't this sound like the free gift of salvation that has been given to us? A water salesman wasn't uncommon in the Near East. But Isaiah is offering so much more. Like the feast that we see in Luke chapter 14 and 15. With no money, come, buy, and eat. With no money, have wine and milk. It's so much more than what you think. It's so much more than just a quenching of your thirst. It's so much more. Verse 2, why do you spend money for, what, uh, for that which is not bread? Listen to this. He's, he, so he's trying to compare. Listen, I'm, I'm telling you to come and buy this stuff. It's for free. You're out there and you're buying all this other stuff that people are selling to you. You're buying all this other stuff that doesn't quench your thirst. You're buying all this other stuff that really doesn't satisfy your soul. Why do you spend your money on that which is not bread and your labor for that which does not satisfy? You're working so hard. You work so hard in this life. You are working so hard. And you're still not satisfied. Listen diligent to, diligently to me and eat what is good. When Jesus is talking about himself as a bread of life. Psalms tell us, taste and see that the Lord is good. Right? Listen diligent to me and eat what is good and delight yourself in rich food. And then he says, incline your ear, verse 3, and inclines. I bend your ear. Listen up. Give attention. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear that your soul may live. Isaiah is talking way more than water. He's talking about quenching the thirst of your soul. And I will make with you an everlasting covenant, the Lord says, my steadfast, sure love for David. Um, and I will make with you an everlasting covenant. Um, yes, we're good. inheritance that David was given he was offering King David he was offering to the listener now who wasn't there when David was fighting the fights for the nation he wasn't what who weren't there when David King David was was establishing a kingdom for God Almighty he was saying I'm extending these same promises these same the same covenant I had with him I am now extending to you and so what he's doing here in verses 2 and 3 he's calling people out of listen a self-willed waywardness waywardness and what I mean by that is, is people who have lost their way some who have lost their way, maybe once they knew where to come and get this kind of, of water. Maybe they knew what, what it was like to be in deep connection with Yahweh. And now the prophet Isaiah was, was speaking on behalf of God and saying, come and drink again. Come and eat again because it's free. So he was calling those who were in a self-willed wariness. 
Have you ever experienced that self-willed waywardness where you have by your choices strayed from God? By your choices, maybe, maybe you've begun to have a spiritual drift. Or maybe even got into a place where your, your faith was shipwrecked. For many, this can look like spiritual drift, but it's an invitation for those who are drifting from Jesus. It's an invitation for those who are drifting, listen, friends, from his word, an invitation from those who are drifting from his ways, and it's an invitation for those who are drifting from his body, his community, the church. Verse 4, behold, I made him a witness to the peoples, a leader and a commander for the people. Speaking of David, behold, you shall call a nation that you do not know and a nation that you did not know. You shall run. Did not know you shall run to you because of the Lord, your God and of the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. God is calling his people back to this, this promised inheritance that he had given. And he's saying, these are the promises. These are the promises I'm going to give you if you would just come back. Verse 6, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. And this is powerful, friends, because listen, the call to salvation one day will cease. The call for salvation one day will cease. It is not limitless. There is an urgency. There was an urgency hundreds of years before Jesus ever stepped onto the planet. And there's an urgency now 2,000 plus years after Jesus ascended back to heaven. The call for salvation is not limitless. There is no time for complacency and there is no time for comfortable living. Verse 7, let the wicked forsake his way. Can you say his way? And the unrighteous man, his thoughts. Can you say his thoughts? Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. This is powerful. Now, this is where, where the verse two and three, there was a call out of, out of self-willed waywardness, which means you're just, you know, you're doing your own thing. You know, you're, you're not... You're not trying to be wicked. You're not trying to be evil. You're not worshiping Satan and, you know, going to seances and whatever. I mean, you're, 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 you're just somehow you just strayed from God. So now come back. Verses two and three. Come back to where, you know, life is. But in verses six and seven, we see now it's a call for the wicked. It's for those who are actively opposing God. It's for those who are actively rejecting the Lord. Right. It's a calling out of that wickedness. Listen, both in lifestyle and in attitude. That lie behind it. That's what wickedness is. Lifestyle and an attitude behind it. The sinner is wrong. And for those of us who, who accepted Christ and asked for forgiveness and repented, we understood. We came to grips with the fact that we were wrong. When an, only, when an unholy person looks at the law of God, the holy law of God, and we look at the commandments of the Lord, we see just how unholy we are. And that's what the, re the reason for the law is still valid for those who don't believe. Because you have to look at something holy in order, in order to understand that you are unholy. And so repentance must touch the inner person as well as the outward deeds. This is what repentance does. It touches your inner person and your outward deeds. It's not just behavior modification. It's a transformation from within. The call here is not simply uttered to the people as such, but to the individual. And so sometimes we read these big prophecies in Isaiah and we're like, oh, he's, he's preaching to all the people of Israel. It doesn't, doesn't count for us because, I mean, we're in the new covenant and we're not, you know, Jewish. No, he's speaking to the individual. He's speaking to the reader. If you remember, Isaiah's prophetic ministry was beyond his day. It was a foretelling of what would come. The promises of God. Of God the God's pardon is assured. And this is powerful, even for the wicked. From, and this in verse 8 and 9, and this is the whole foundation of this series. For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways, I'm sorry, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. I'm going to say that again. 
for my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declare the Lord. It doesn't matter how good you are. It doesn't matter how good of a person you are. It doesn't matter how good your heart is. Your thoughts and your ways are not the same as God's. Not until you are reconciled to God through Jesus Christ, the son, can we begin to even get into that arena. Verse nine says this, for as far as heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. This is the distance between God's thoughts and ways versus ours. And somehow we still think we can outthink God. Sometimes we, we make moves, and Spanish sounds a little funnier. We, we try to make movidas to outmaneuver God. When his ways are higher than our ways and his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. How far? I mean, how high and how far? As far as heaven is from the earth. That's the difference. This is the higher calling. This is what higher looks like for God. Jesus' thoughts are not our thoughts. Jesus' ways, friends, are not our ways. They're nothing alike. They're, they're, we're, we're not even in the realm. And we may confuse our religion, religious activity as being godly, but, godly, but God is reminding us that there is a contrast between divine and human. And it's only through Jesus, by the blood of Jesus, the sacrifice, the atonement, the, the final sacrifice of all sacrifices for the sins of mankind, that can, can we be put in the right light of God. That blood that is washed over the sinner puts us in right standing with God. You are made righteous by the blood of Jesus, not of your own doing. You can't think your way into it. You can't maneuver your way into it. You can't, you can't manipulate your way into it. It's only by the blood of Jesus. This is the higher call of salvation. And sometimes we think we can still outthink God. I, I was thinking about Job and when Job began to question God. In Job chapter 38, God responds to, to uh, the Lord responds to Job like this. Then the Lord answered Job from the whirlwind. Who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man. Stand up. You're going to talk to me like that? Stand up. I remember having a conversation like this with my dad one time. Who are you talking to? Oh, you're a man now. Stand up. Talk to me then. <laughs> Brace yourself like a man because I have some questions for you. And you must answer them. It starts with this one. And you can continue on. You guys go read this after. Where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? And he begins to just like, where were you when I put the boundaries between the oceans and the land? I mean, he just begins to go like, where were you? And friends, we still somehow think that our thoughts can be like God's thoughts and our ways can be like God's ways. Back to verse 10 in Isaiah 55. For as the rain and, and, and man, the Lord begins to just use this poetry between these, these, these symbolism between the earth and, and for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the things for which I sent it. For you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. The mountains and the hills before you shall break forth into singing and all the trees of the field shall clap their hands. I mean, just think about this. At first, he's like enticing with bread and with water and he's come, come and drink, come and see this free gift. And if those of you who, who, are, who are wayward and those of you who are wicked, come, receive this gift, repent and return back to me, receive this life. And now he's giving from verse 10 on, these promises, the fulfillment of what it will look like when you respond to this word. If you will just obey and come back to God, you just think about those things that I'm speaking over your life. They will come to pass because I don't say things in vain. My words don't come back empty. The promises which I speak come to pass, says God. 
Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress. Instead of the briar shall come up the myrtle. And it shall make a name for the Lord. Which means that your life is going to give glory to God. When you live for God in this way, your life brings glory to God. Maybe your life was a thorn bush. And the Lord's saying your life's going to be a cypress. Think of the righteous oak planted by the water in Psalms. And it shall make a name for the Lord. Your life is going to make a name for the Lord. People are going to look at your life and people are going to think, man, God has done an amazing work. That's what it should look like. If you believe that, say amen. And the Lord shall make a name for the Lord and an and a name for the Lord, an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Friends, I've seen too many people's faith shipwrecked. We, we sang some songs today talking about the prodigals coming home. Seen too many people cut off. And it wasn't God who cut them off. It wasn't God who says, I'm done with you. You think of the, 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 the prodigal son parable that Jesus gave. It was God, the father who stands in the archway, waiting, looking on the horizon for the son to come back home. It's not God who cuts off. It's we who cut ourselves off. We first cut ourselves off from the body, which disconnects us from the head. And when we're disconnected from the head, I'm telling you, friends, it's so hard to find our way back. And that guilt, that guilt, that guilt that just begins to set in us and fester and becomes bitterness and this separation and this distance. I'm telling you, it, it, absence does not make the heart grow fonder when it comes to the presence of God. Verses 8 through 13, God's thoughts and ways are governed by his righteousness. A holy God who is righteous. Holy God who, who tells us to be holy because he is holy. And again, that word holy, does, it's not this perfect thing. Holy means separated, set apart. Live as if you have been set apart by God. His righteousness and his effectiveness come from the words that he speaks because he accomplishes that which he speaks. By his word, he reclaims sinners. Isn't that powerful? By his word, he reclaims sinners, whether by error or by wickedness, he is calling them back to him. He is calling them out of their ways into his ways. From verse 10, God shows us the effectiveness of his word, bringing forth a sprout, seed to the sower, bread to the eater. My word shall not return back empty. It will accomplish that which I purpose and it will succeed. You see, when you know this about God, there, there, there is a holy fear that should come over you that that which God has said will happen. Whether you're in right standing with God or not, that which he has said will happen. That's what a holy fear provokes in us. This is where the, hall, the higher call over your life begins to set in. There's far too many believers who have chosen to follow Jesus, who just live at the foot of the cross. They live at baseline Christianity when God has so much more for us. God is calling us higher. He's calling you higher. And it's, it's, it's not like, you know, your works by your works are going to be saved. There's nothing you can do to be saved except for accept Christ into your heart. So it's not like, well, if I work really hard, am I going to get into a super heaven? No. And I'm telling you, some of us might think, well, then why do I got to work so hard? I'm already saved. Because you're in a relationship with a holy God. Who paid a significant price. And as I've told you a thousand times before, who wants what he paid for? Jesus wants what he paid for. And when he paid for you, he didn't pay for you at, 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 at the baseline price, thinking you'll grow into it. He paid for you at the optimum price, prophetically knowing who you could be in him. God's word and his ways reveal his will. If you want to know the will of God for your life, you need to learn his word and you need to learn his ways. 
And this is what Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 are telling us. His ways are higher than our ways. And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And we have to begin to align ourselves with them. For the next eight weeks, we're not going to be going over Isaiah 55. We are going to be looking contextually in the things that Jesus taught in ways that are higher than our ways and thoughts that are higher than our thoughts. Some things that will blow your mind. Things, things like when um, the Roman centurion, uh, Jesus said, hey, when, when they, when, when, have you ever heard the term go the extra mile? So you got to think of the Jews uh, in in the New Testament at the time, they were, they were under the oppression of the Roman Empire. And so if a Roman soldier was, 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 was walking or, or riding alongside and wanted to listen to, to release weight from his horse, if he saw a Jew, he would, he, would, he would take the weight from the horse and have the Jew carry it for him. And by law, they had to carry it one mile. And Jesus says, if he, if he comes to you and tells you to carry it a mile... Carry it too. What? Why would Jesus say that? I mean, these are oppressed people. Is, re- is Jesus really promoting slavery for his own people? To stay in oppressed? An oppress- and it wasn't just too, look, listen, listen to the effort. Now they have to go an extra mile. And then they have to go two miles back. So four miles. This is what Jesus is saying. These are the things we want to begin to unravel when it comes to the things that Jesus taught. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts and his ways are higher than our ways. But why? Jesus is just playing guru tricks through his parables. There's a lifestyle that he's calling us to lead here on this planet, friends. And it's Jesus' thoughts and ways that are going to get us to where God is calling us. If you believe that, say amen. God's word and ways reveal his will. During this next seven weeks after this week, you're going to get offended. I'm telling you that right now. You will be offended. You'll be offended by me, Brett, Ken, Steve, whoever's coming up. You get probably offended by Ken all the time anyways. But (laughs) But God's rule, listen, friend, his rule and reign is calling us higher. It's calling us higher. It's no no longer baseline Christianity for God's kids. It's no longer just doing the bare minimum to get through and I got my salvation, get out of hell free card, I'm good. So much more. I'm going to read this in closure. If you guys just close your eyes, it's it's an encouragement from the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi. And it says this in Philippians chapter 3. It says, not that I have already obtained this or I'm already perfect but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own brothers and sisters. I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do know forgetting what lies behind forgetting what lies behind forgetting what lies behind and straining forward that what lies ahead. I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call. The higher call, friends, the upward call of of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers and sisters, join me in, in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have seen in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it, we await a savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Lord, I just ask that you would transform our minds. 
Lord, we want you to renew our thoughts. We recognize that your ways are higher than our ways and your thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And I think it's, it's the thoughts that we keep, the thoughts that we, we toil with that actually shape how we live and how we walk. And so, Lord, I pray for a transformation of the mind. We want to line our thoughts up with your thoughts. Lord, though anybody's struggling with behavior modification, Lord, I pray that that will cease now. Or they can be real. They can be themselves. Allowing you to bring the transformation. I don't believe you want pretenders in your kingdom. And so here we are, Lord, raw and real. But we say, have your way, God. Transform us. Transform our thoughts. Lord, those things that we are in disagreement with you in our mind or in our spirits or in our actions, Lord, I pray for a renewal in Jesus' name. We turn from our old ways and we turn towards you. And we might not get it right today, but Lord, we might get it better tomorrow. Holy Spirit, help us in this endeavor to live like our holy God. Thank you for putting us in right standing with Jesus by the power of his blood. Thank you, God. If you can keep your eyes closed. Today, my sermon might be a little far-fetched for those who aren't walking with Jesus who haven't accepted Christ into their hearts as Savior and Lord. And I don't want to leave this place without giving every one of you an opportunity. If you have never asked God for forgiveness for your sins and asked Christ into your heart to be your Savior, that is the starting point for every believer. It's the starting point. And if you recognize that you are a sinner separated by sin from God, it's just acknowledging that, asking the Lord for forgiveness and accepting him into your heart as Savior. The Bible says if you confess your sins to the Lord and believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, you shall be saved. And if you want to do that, I'm not going to embarrass you. But I would just ask, everyone's eyes are closed, if you'd like to do that, or maybe you once were walking with God, but today you're wayward and you're saying, Lord, I need to find my way back. I believe this is for you as well. If you want to answer that call, I'm just invite you to just raise your hand and I'll pray with you right where you're at. I'm not going to call you up or embarrass you, but just so I can see it, everyone's eyes are closed. We're not going to do anything other than acknowledge that you're re responding this morning. So if you'd like to respond to that call to salvation, if you could just lift your hand to the Lord today. Is there anyone like that? Amen. I see your hand. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. If you'd like to respond, you can pray this in your heart or you can pray it with your mouth today. Lord Jesus, I recognize that I am a sinner. But I also recognize that you died on the cross for those sins. And I ask for forgiveness for those sins. I choose today to turn from those and turn towards you. I receive you as Savior. And I accept you as Lord of my life. Give me the strength to live for you. Give me the strength to answer the higher call that you have for my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hey, let's give the Lord praise today. Awesome.